she was tired of doing announcements. <laughs> That's going to be away for the next two weeks, so I'll, so I'll get back on doing this thing here. So I missed you. <laughs> First thing we're going to do is celebrate. And, and if, if you want to get a bulletin, we're going to celebrate birthdays. There's a good chance if you were born on May the 2nd that you're a Methodist. <laughs> because because there's, there's four birthdays on May, sec, or May the 2nd here. Tim McDermott, Jenny Kennedy Hollison, Tom Kudowski, and Warren. So, happy birthday to those folks. Also on the 4th this week, Neil McDermott. And Jeff has come up the other day of the week. So, all right. So, party all week, right? Well, no. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure. Okay. Also, uh, a couple of anniversaries. Jim and Bonnie Merrick this week, uh, 21 years. And Kevin and Cindy Pierce, 33. So, got those going on. We do have flowers uh, given by the Rables in honor of Warren's birthday. So, thank you much for those. Some things to remind you of on your calendar. Today, after the service, there is a BBS meeting. And if you're interested in being a teacher, or helping with cooking, or cleaning, or anything anything at all to be involved with BBS, come to the meeting. Is the meeting here downstairs? Up, up here. Up here, okay. Right here. Yeah. All right, so, so pop in for that if you're interested, if you can help at all with BBS. Uh, also, a reminder to the finance folks, uh, meeting Tuesday night, 6 Thursday, come on up for that. And if you looked in your bulletin, and this is, this is a common, uh, common reminder, but if you can help out by being an usher, please sign up for that. Or if you can help out with being a bursar, we still need help with bursers. So if you can volunteer for either of those guys, uh, please do. The other follow-up I've got for this week, and inquiring minds need to know, Chris, did you call the doctor on Monday? Yes, I did. I have an MRI this week, and I meet with the surgeon next week. Okay. All right. All right. So, here's so we've got that one covered, too. Thanks. All right. That'll be better. You'll make calls a lot easier. There, yeah, there, there you go. go. All right. Are there other announcements that need to be shared? Where's your only got something? Not today. Not today. Ron. We have a men's breakfast next Sunday morning. Uh, anybody's interested, call me and I'll give you the details. Okay. Is it going to be here or is it? Or do it's going to be at Jake's. going to be at Jake's, okay. That's the one for Ron, come. Any food. I won't call you, I'm coming. Pardon? I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to call you, I'm coming. Okay. All right. Anybody else? Chris, you got anything? No, good. No? Okay. Yes? <laughs> On behalf of finance team, uh, the church was awarded a thumbs up on the second round of the payroll protection program, and we have received the funds already. Good news. All right. Good show. All right. Yay. All right. Yay for us. Okay. Anybody else? I'll you. All right. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Okay. Ted's driving the truck again. We got to keep going. All right. We're going to do something a little different today for the call to worship. You don't have to do anything. Well, no, I can't say you don't have to do anything. Because when I get to the last chorus, you can join me. Because by then, you ought to have it down, okay? <coughs> All right. So here we go. This goes with our theme for today. So I'm going to sing to you. Keep your lamps. Trimmed and burning. Are you ready? All right. Keep your lamps trimmed and burning. Keep your lamps trimmed and burning. 
in Christ, God invites us to hold the needs of our sisters and brothers as dear to us as our own needs, loving our neighbors as ourselves. We offer our thanksgivings and our petitions on behalf of the church and the world. So today we'd like to lift some praises before you, Lord. First, that, that Baish and Jackie made it back safely from uh, Florida, and they're back with us for the summer, and uh, they're good and well and, and had an uneventful time in Florida, so we're thankful for that. And also for their great-granddaughter, Emma, who's a little peach. I hope you get to see her picture, who was born on uh, November 17th. Um, we want to lift praises to you, Lord, that despite things that have gone on all over the country, our, our church family has been primarily spared from, from the effects of the pandemic as far as illness, and, and we just lift that before you, Lord, and, and thank you. And, and just, we can't say enough about your graciousness and your care for us during this time. Um, and now we need to look before you some concerns, Lord, because, um, you know, lives don't always go down that straight and narrow path, so we have troubles and we have concerns that we need to lift before you today. Um, Baish needs to go see the doctor, so pray for him um, so that his breathing improves and, and he can feel up to snuff for the summertime activities coming up and that uh, he feels better soon. Um, and we want to lift prayers for Holly, who is having exploratory surgery to, for the continued pain she's been having. So. We lift prayers to you, Lord, that you can uh, give the doctors your, your help and reassurance and lead them in the right direction so they have discernment and how to treat her the best way that they can. Um, we want to lift prayers for Ted and his family as he is in hospice. Um, give them peace and, and resilience and give him, for sure, peace and know, let him know that for him and that you're there with him every step of the journey that he's on. Um, for Kay, we want to lift uh, prayers for her, for her heart attack that's coming up on Thursday, that, that that all goes well and she returns to us safely and happy and she's back to doing cartwheels by next week. And um, I want to lift prayers for you too, Chris that when you have your MRI, things go well, and she's having an MRI on Thursday. He didn't tell you, but I'll tell you. So you're gonna check out his knee. And hopefully we won't see him wincing around here all summer. Hopefully he'll be able to get that fixed and the doctors will know what to do and, and all will be well. And then finally, Lord, we wanna lift before you um, India, the country of India. They're really suffering right now, as you know, with the pandemic. Please be with those people and, and support them. Hold them in the palm of your hand as they go through this very scary and uh, dreadful time when there just aren't enough resources to go in. All of our hearts are with the people there, and um, we just we just want to lift them before you today and, and have you see them and, and see the precious lives that that are there. Here are our prayers. God of power, 
through the ministry of your Son, free us from the grip of the tomb, that we may desire you as the fullness of life and proclaim your saving deeds to all the world. In your name, amen. And now, with the confidence of the children of God, let us say the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory.
but only the Father. Be aware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Therefore, keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or at cockcrow, or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. It's been a long time since I've delivered a, a sermon to the, the entire congregation or what, what we have. Probably 20, 25 years. And uh, I'm a little bit nervous, needless to say, but still, I, I thank Pastor Jill for asking me to deliver some thoughts and um, that I could help you out in your in your time that uh, you know that you needed some some refreshing some refreshing time with your family. So. Anyway, I, I related some stories about a friend of mine from high school whose name was Jerry Whitman. And uh, Jerry was one of those very intelligent uh, people who lacked a bit of common sense and often did things without thinking them through to their logical conclusions. He was the type of guy who would do just about anything on a dare which didn't really take much prodding from, from us or his friends. And that was part of his general daily routine, to do things that were out of, a little bit out of sync with everybody, but just to call attention to himself, just for a laugh. For instance, one day in the high school cafeteria, and only Jerry knew why he did it, he decided to collect a whole plate of silverware from the table that we sat at, and, and it had already been already been eaten on. And it, he piled the tray high with, uh, with this, uh, to nearly overflowing, and Jerry carried it towards the window where the dirty kitchen service was returned for washing. Probably remember that in your high school cafeteria or junior high or middle school or whatever, how, how that procedure worked out. And next to the return window, there was a garbage can where you threw away your uh, paper products and you scraped your, your, uh, your food off into a, into a garbage can. So Jerry had this plate of silver, tray of silverware and just kind of nonchalantly walked over towards the garbage can and pretended to trip, throwing all the silverware into the garbage can and headed for the hallway. Now it just so happened that uh, one of the cafeteria workers saw the whole thing transpire and aware of Jerry's reputation for pranks and for past antics and knowing that he had faked the so-called accident, she grabbed him as he went by and made him pick through the messy trash and all the garbage to get the <laughs> silverware, which, much to the delight of, of the audience, was very obviously very funny. And, and we, you know, yes, you know, he got caught. It's really funny watching him watching him do this. Jerry and I were also happened to be in the same physics class in our senior year in high school. And our, Teacher Mr. Carnabucci would also happen to be an assistant football coach and regularly was tied up with important coachly duties. Because he was tied up with those, he often disappeared to confer with some mystery person about the upcoming game that week. So it's not unusual for the class to be left alone for 15 or 20 minutes at a time while he was gone for that mystery powwow. 
One day, Mr. Carnaguchi was gone for an unusually long period of time, and while well, Jerry Whitman, with time on his hands, idle time, was always an interesting situation waiting to happen. So Jerry and a few other double-day pair types in the class thought it would be really neat to stage walking races around the physics labs tables. And anybody you know, took chemistry or physics or something like that in high school, biology, you had these lab tables, that, you know, the lab stools and that type of thing. So they decided to do this, do this race business uh, instead of doing the homework that we were supposed to be doing at the time. But to just walk hastily around the lab tables in a walking race, Jerry decided that wasn't enough, so he had to put a lab stool on top of your head as you paraded around the room in your, during the race. So after about the fifth lap, and with Jerry sporting a commanding lead, you guessed it, Mr. Pernabucci returned to the class. And I'll never forget the look of exasperation and disgust on his face and the sheepish and panic look on Jerry's face as the words, Whitman, just what do you think you're doing? As he hollered those out. Now, remember, those were the days, and I'm old enough to remember this, I'm sure a lot of you are too, that corporal punishment was still practiced in public schools. So I remember that Jerry and the other contestants had trouble sitting for a day or two <laughs> after the shortened race. And in case you were wondering, I was not a contestant but simply a spectator sitting in my seat, rooting for and betting on my favorite horse. <laughs> and I admit that I, at this time I had used some common sense and showed some maturity, which I was, you know, kind of like this as a senior in high school, knowing that sooner or later Mr. Carnabucci would return and I didn't want to get caught up in the tom, all the tomfoolery that was going on. Yet I admit, if I had known, had known in advance the exact time of his return, I might have run a few highly competitive furlongs around the lab tables myself that day. And after that instance, incident, our teacher usually left someone in charge when he left the class that we, because we had broken that unwritten, unwritten bond of trust that he had placed with us and expected us to respect his authority and to respect the wish in, and wishes to behave in his absence. Our scripture readings this morning are somewhat like that. Jesus promises that sometime he will be back. Behave while I'm gone and do your work as you're supposed to. And he has left the class in charge of a responsible individual, us, meaning that we are in charge of our own personal classrooms. The gospel says that it's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge each with his own work to do, and commands the doorkeeper to be on his watch. Our faith gives us the confidence that indeed he will return. In fact, the Apostles' Creed even proclaims that he will come to judge the living and the dead. And that's Jesus' promise. But just when he is coming is the part that is hidden from us. In fact, not even Jesus knows the day or the hour. That is up to our Father in heaven. No one knows the day or the hour, and Jesus says that we need to be alert and on close watch for that time. What would we do if we knew the day and the hour of the Lord's return? Would we be a Jerry Whitman running races around the classroom, throwing caution to the wind, 
taking our chances with faith. When the cat's away, the mice will play, especially if the mice know just when the cat will be a hit to be back. But a mice, mouse using common sense will be alert for the watchful, alert and watchful for the cat, to be on guard rather than risk any deadly surprise. Again, Jesus likens this to the master of the house. He is going out of town and leaves the servants with a list of stuff to do, but not telling them the time of his return. What if the master had said, I'll be back at Friday at noon? What might have happened in the meantime? I remember our commercial from a few years back, quite a few years, when the boss is sitting at the beach drinking pina coladas or whatever, and he calls back to his office and tells his employees that he's cutting his vacation short and will be back in half an hour. The employees at the other end of the line, at, at the other end of the phone line, go into a total panic because they've been having a hearty party, dancing on tables, throwing streamers, playing loud music, line dancing, trashing the office, and joining in all, all kinds of fun and games. They haven't been expecting him back for weeks. The twist is that the boss is playing a joke on them, knowing full well that they are goofing off in his absence. Apparently, he knows them well enough that, left up to their own devices, they will sooner or later go astray and partay. So to keep them in line, he throws them an un the unexpected curveball that he will be back. You ever wonder if God has made a wise decision in trusting us too much? How easy it is to fall short of that trust when we think that he is looking the other way. But isn't it also comforting to know that our loving, graceful God doesn't give up on us when we fall short of his trust? If we knew the day and the hour of Jesus coming, would we change the way we live our lives? Would we live our lives as Jesus asked us by loving our neighbors, being righteous, living out his word, and turning our lives around? Or would we wait until the last few moments before midnight, procrastinating and figuring out we had plenty of time to clean out the cobwebs that exist in the nooks and crannies of our lives? Would we use the knowledge of that exact time for our benefit or for the benefit of God? Now, what would it be like to know the exact time of our own death? Would we plan accordingly? perhaps making peace with those that we may have wronged, getting our affairs in order, making sure that the family's bills are paid and the insurance is in order? Will we make peace with the Lord and confess ourselves before him? Will we go out into the world and do good works? Or will we party first and save the righteousness stuff for a time closer to the end? Will we be like the disciples who fell asleep on their watch in the garden, too tired to care or worry, and even being complacent about the coming event? I suppose as that appointed day and hour became their panic, defeat perhaps despair would set in with us. We might be caught vainly trying to get our house in order before the master comes home, comes knocking at the front door. Quick, comb your hair. Take out the trash. Look busy. He's here. It's time. This morning's reading from 1 Thessalonians, Paul gives comfort and motivation to early Christians who waited eagerly for the return of Christ in their lifetimes. Paul tells the Thessalonian church that the day of the Lord will come suddenly and unexpectedly, just like a thief in the night. 
And he urges the faithful to be ready at all times, not to be surprised or taken off guard when the big event takes place. He reassures them that God has provided all the tools for finding the way to salvation, and that God will not let them down. Finally, Paul stresses that they must continue to encourage and build each other up, to ready themselves for the day of the Lord's return, and that they should depend upon each other for strength and courage as they wait for him. I read in a commentary that the Thessalonians lived their lives in the framework of Christ's return, knowing that the Lord was near. They were particularly focused on the return of Christ, even to the point of claiming that Christ had already returned and some had even missed it. This is what motivated the early church in outreach and mission. It wasn't for the sake of survival. It wasn't because they needed more members to balance the budget or fill up empty pews, but it was because Christ was near. The day of his coming was near, always right around the corner. They were driven by a clear-headed realization that each, each day might be the day to end all days, the day that the Lord who died and rose for all would come to judge the living and the dead by his own death and resurrection. And they wanted everyone to know that this Jesus who was coming was the one who had died for them. This is what gave the early Christians hope and meaning as their world was literally crumbling down around them. They knew that Jesus, whose coming that they looked, longed, and prayed for, was the same Jesus who came to them in the waters of baptism, who came to them in the word of forgiveness, who came to them in the supper of his body and blood, and who promised, I am coming soon. On very rare occasions when most of my family are all able to be together in the same place at the same time, which is even more and more rare as the family spreads out. I'm sure a lot of you have experienced. Anyway, uh, on those times, as I'm sure many families do that get together, the topic of conversation among the adults eventually revolves, evolves into the things that they did as kids. And our family is obviously no exception. One, except, one occasion in my family, the topics ranged from my younger brother Chris hanging out of a second-story window in our house just for fun when he was only five years old. <laughs> and I have to admit, I casually st stood there and watched him and did nothing about it. I probably encouraged him a little bit. And there was another time when my older brother Bill and a friend of, uh, drove off the road into a muddy field one night and got stuck. It seemed that they had been chased down some backcountry roads by someone in a car who they had tossed the cherry bomb at earlier. And they all enjoyed the oft-repeated story, this, this, is, this is me. <clears throat> and uh, my kids always enjoyed this story too when I told it once or twice. Who, myself, when I was about age 10, and I, yes, I was only about 10, my dad made me smoke a cigar. It seems that my younger sister, Lisa, tattled on me, which she was very good at tattling on us, for trying out a cigarette at the urging of my brother Bill's friends. So my dad thought he'd break me of any further tobacco urges by forcing me to smoke the cheapest, rottenest, 10-inch long, one-inch in diameter cigar that could be purchased for under a dime. I found out that afternoon just how fast the room could spin around as I got a good close-up view of the, of the inside of our commode. 
Dad was always a master at making the punishment fit the crime. On another occasion, while my mom was still alive, we were telling stories on ourselves and each other about the things that my mother never had a clue about. I remember her sitting there one day with her mouth open in disbelief, her head in her hands, and just shaking her head back and forth because of the things that she was hearing about that we had done right under her nose. Now, my dad usually sat there at times like this with an almost imperceptible but knowing grin on his face and listened without comment. However, we also talked about some of the things that, that we thought mom was oblivious to, but unbeknownst to us, she was fully aware of those things. And those were the times that she remained one step ahead of us, which was usually 95% of the time, and stepped in when things were about to get out of hand. Perhaps two guys like that, one step ahead of us for our own good, watching and waiting to bring us back into line when we stray away. Does God expect us to be perfect and never fall short or make mistakes? Of course not. Just as loving parents don't expect their children to be always perfect, not to fail at things, not to struggle or to fall short. And that is what unconditional love is all about. That's how our loving God that's how our loving God has relationship with us. That's why God sent his son to take away our sin and shortcomings. We only need to be reminded of how God repeatedly prodded the Israelites of the Old Testament back into their covenant relationship when they drifted away from him. As Christians, our hope and goal is that when the great unknown day in which we meet Jesus face to face, we'll be working hard to keep our part of the new covenant relationship that God established with us, that Jesus established with us through his death and resurrection. So in the final analysis, it really doesn't make much of a difference if we know the day or the time when the Lord returns or when he calls us to him. A giant signpost on the road of salvation leads us, directs us to live our lives in careful and watchful expectation of his return. We will be faithful keepers of the new covenant we can be motivated to go about doing the good works and growing the faith that Jesus asked us through his name as we travel that road. The future lies in God's hands, not in ours. He will bring, us, bring his work and our work to completion at a time that only he knows. Amen.
all give uh, Steve a hand. He did a great job today, and I want us to all show our appreciation, and especially I would like to show my
and poured upon us your Holy Spirit, making us the people of your new covenant. On the night before meeting with death, Jesus took the bread, and he gave thanks to you, and he broke the bread, and he gave it to the disciples, and he said, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, Jesus took the cup, and he gave thanks to you, and to the disciples, he said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts, that in the breaking of this bread and the drinking of this wine, we may know the presence of the living Christ and be renewed as the body of Christ for the world, redeemed by Christ's blood. As the grain and the grapes once dispersed in the fields are now united on this table in bread and wine, so may we and all your people be gathered from every time and place into the unity of your eternal household and feast at your table forever. Through Christ, with Christ, in Christ, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty God, now and forevermore. Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. The bread which we break is a sharing in the body of Christ. We're going to all take this together. Body of Christ, broken for you. The cup over which we give thanks is a sharing <coughs> of the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ given for you.
As we leave this place today, this place of peace and hope and, and goodwill, I've got some closing words for you by Ruth Patterson. <clears throat> and now we go out into the world in peace. Beware, keep alert, for we do not know the hour when we will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Be faithful in service and persistent in prayer. Be Advent people, loving and serving the Lord. Amen.